Well, the scripture reading for this morning will be found on page six of your bulletin. This is Jeremiah chapter one, verse one through nine. This is one of the prophets in the Old Testament speaking and writing here. Jeremiah chapter one, verse one through nine, you are welcome to follow along or you can just listen and take in God's word with your ears. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. The word of the Lord. This morning we have a guest preacher with us today, and it's Pastor Glenn Hoberg, who's the lead pastor of our Grace Downtown congregation, uh, one of our sibling congregations, the original congregation in the Grace DC Network, and you have heard from him before, a familiar face and a familiar friend uh, of this community. So uh, without further ado, uh, here is Pastor Glenn. Let's all welcome him together. Good morning. So glad to be with you this morning, especially this morning. What a show that was. I, I know it's tiring for all you caregivers that are watching the kids, but for me, it was just delightful. You know, just, man, all this energy and joy and love. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be here during Advent. And um, as Duke has been reminding and Yancey throughout the service, this is the season of Advent the time in the historic Christian church when we look back to the first coming of Jesus Christ and we look ahead to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in both comings, he comes as a mediator, a go-between between God and man, and that's because he's the God-man. But in that office of mediator, he serves three different roles, a prophet, a priest, and a king. And maybe this morning, that sounds a little bit theoretical, but I would ask you this. Have you ever cried in your heart, I need guidance? Have you ever felt the cry in your heart, I need comfort? 
Have you ever felt the cry in your heart, I need protection? What you were calling for was a prophet, a priest, and a king. That's what you needed. And God was kind. He's always been kind to his people way back in the days of Israel to give them prophet, priest, and king, and to give them special births to look ahead, to foreshadow the ultimate prophet, priest, and king that would come. And we've been looking at those births during Advent. And it's my job to focus us on the birth of a prophet. A prophet is born, Jeremiah the prophet. Now, prophets basically had two jobs. Uh, They had a job to foretell, that is, maybe predict events that were supposed to happen. Not maybe, they did predict events that were supposed to happen, but also foretell, and that is they were to remind God's people what they were to be reminded of, what they should be doing, how they should live. And so Jeremiah is called to both of those things. And in this passage, through his, essentially his commissioning and the reference to his birth, we get something very basic that he's going to have to hold on to through his entire ministry. And that is, he's a messenger and he's got a message. So I want to look at the messenger and the message very simply this morning. And uh, you heard the scripture read, but why don't I pray for God's help? Because I know I'll need it. However we got here this morning, Lord, you're the one that brought us here. Uh, It may be the first time we've stepped into a church, the first time we've stepped into a church for a long time. It may be uh, we're very tired this Advent season. But you have something for each of us, and I pray you might deliver it through your word. In the name of Christ, amen. Some years back, I saw a movie called The City of Embers. Has anybody ever seen that movie? Good, because I'm going to spoil it for you. Uh, my belief is if it's been out for 10 years, it's, it's, you know, it's safe. I can ruin it, so I'm going to ruin it for you. Um, now, it's a story about a group of survivors. There's been some sort of catastrophe on Earth, and so this group of survivors has to move down and to live underground, and they build a city there. And the leaders of the city have this box that they have given to them that's supposed to be open 200 years down the road with instructions how to get out of this fix, how to get out of the mess. But by this time, the city's on its last legs. The lights are flickering. There's not enough food for everybody. Now, in this particular city, after you graduate high school, they give you your role or your job. And... um, There are two teenagers, one's a pipe fitter and one is a messenger. And this box finds their way into their hands. But they also find out something else. They find out that the mayor's crooked. He's corrupted and he's been hoarding all the food. So he's after them, but he also doesn't want people to see what that box is because he likes the control. They open up the box. They find the instructions. They follow through these dark places. They wonder, is this the end of the line? But finally, light breaks and they crawl up onto the surface of the earth and everything's fine. In fact, it's beautiful. But they don't just leave. They take that message and they tie a rock around it and they drop it back down into the darkness. Jeremiah, in many ways, this is what his ministry is. God has called him into a very dark and difficult time. Israel is split in two. They're no longer one nation. The nations around them are in chaos. Syria is falling apart. 
uh, Egypt, along with Babylon, are trying to pick the pieces of Judah, the other remaining nation of Israel. And then the leaders of Israel are all messed up. You've got a good one, Josiah, who you heard mentioned. He was a reformer. But on top of that, there's Jehoiakim. He's a tyrant. And Zedekiah, he changes with the weather. You never know where he's going to be. And so God raises up Jeremiah to drop a rock of hope into a very dark place. And, of course, later we would find out that rock is Jesus Christ. That rock is the light in the darkness that we celebrate for Advent. Now, Jeremiah was born in a small town that overlooked the desert. <laughs> and God would use that as a symbol in many ways to say, this is what your ministry is going to be like. Israel at that time is like a desert. And you're going to preach to a people that are very hungry and thirsty, or a spiritual wasteland, so to speak. But think about when Jesus Christ showed up, he saw a similar thing. He was in a spiritual graveyard. He said to the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders, you all are like whitewashed tombs. You're like a tomb that just, you know, looks beautiful on the outside, but inside it stinks. And so Jeremiah gets called to a similar place as a prophet, and God wants him to know two things. He has to know two things if he's going to remain in it. And I would say they're the same two things that you and I have to know. If we're going to make it through the darkness of this world, the struggles that we have, he had to know that he, would be, he was known and he was sent. Known and sent. First of all, known. The Lord tells him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now, Jeremiah feels insecure. He says that he's young. Now, he's not young in the way we might think, where he's 10 or 11 years old. But young in that culture meant you were still living at home. You weren't, he didn't have a way to make a living. He just felt very insecure in the position he was in. Maybe you do. And so the Lord reminds him, I made you with purpose, just like uh, someone might make an instrument for a particular set of music that they're doing, a particular piece. He's saying, I made you, I formed you for a song to be played. And it's the same with you all. You know, you play a melody that no one else will play. You may not think that you can even carry a tune spiritually. You, know, you may not even think, well, what do I have to say? But God has formed you to sing a song and play a melody of hope in a dark world that no one else and he says this to Jeremiah, I have formed you. Even before you knew you were alive, I was thinking about you. I was planning. Now, the interesting thing is, is God tells his son Jesus the same thing through his mother Mary. Before Jesus is ever born, the Gospel of Luke, we're told, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Even before the Christ is born, the Lord had always been thinking and planning. Of course, the Christ is the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God. But for all eternity, God had contemplated that. Do you know for everybody that knows and believes in Christ, the same is said of us. That God contemplated you before you were ever born. This is what the, the New Testament says. It says, right, before the foundation of the earth in the book of Ephesians, we were known by God. I mean, it's something. Uh, you know, it's something to know that you were known 
before you did anything wrong or right. Right? Before you did anything that could prove yourself. But that word foreknow in the Bible also means foreloved. You were foreloved by God. And so the same of his beloved son. Before I knew you, uh, there was a great old preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who uh, preached and he said, you know, when you come to know Jesus Christ, it's like this. You're on a boat and you see this sign that says, whoever may enter, enter. And then you enter and you look back at the sign and it says, I knew you before the foundation of the world. You know, this is, this is the mystery of God. We move ahead. He knew us. I, I love Psalm 139. Some of you probably know it here. But it's when David says, Lord, you know, you know when I wake up. You know when I rise, you know where I sit. I could go to the bottom of the Potomac River and you would know me. I could go to the heights of the sky and you would know me. I am known. He collects my tears in a bottle. He knows my tossings on my bed at night. How many times did you toss last night? I toss a lot these days, I feel like. You know, and, and, and let's say the Lord's up to one, two, three, ten, twenty. Oh, my child, stop tossing. I know you're tossing. This is God of heaven that knows us. You know, I was thinking, what would it be like if this Christmas season, a dear friend of yours, a family member of yours, came a thousand miles, even further, and on your Christmas day, you opened up the door and you saw them. Your thought would be, you came all the way for me. You came all that distance. The Son of God came all the way. I mean, he came all that distance for you and I to know us. And so we have to believe that he knows our stories this morning, don't we? He knows how hard your year has been. He knows how sorry you have been at times. He knows the hidden acts you do that no one else sees, like when you do the dishes for your roommate and they don't care, right? But you did it anyway, you know. The 5,000 diaper you change. It ought to be like McDonald's, you know, where they have all the burgers listed. You know, some of you, some of you, uh, you know, young family, right? You know, 5,000 diapers changed at this residence. <laughs> you know, he knows your sins. He knows the offensive comments that, that have come your way. He knows the oppression and the racism that you've faced. He knows this. This is the Son of God. But we're not only known, we're sent. He says, before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you. I set you apart and I chose you. We all want to be chosen. I don't know if any of you have watched any of those Harry Potter films, but you can't, you know, if you lived in the world in the last 10 years, they were coming at you all the time, right? But the one thing about Harry Potter, whether you've seen it or not, you know, Harry has a pretty rough life. Uh, first of all, you know, he then got a family. His mom and dad were killed. And so, you know, when Christmas, everybody goes home from school, he doesn't get to go home. He just feels like inside he's got this inner loneliness. He's staying with this foster family that makes him literally live underneath the stairs. They hate him. And then on top of that, he basically has the incarnation of the devil after him all the time. Right? A guy named Voldemort. Bad life, tough life. But you know something? Everybody that watches that movie wants to be Harry. Why? Because he's chosen. He's the favored one. He's the chosen one. And so no matter how bad things get, that you and I would know, I've been chosen by God. He has favored me. 
This is what kept the Son of God going through it. Jeremiah has a very difficult job. Jesus had a harder job. And so before he enters into the worst part of his job, he prays, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. Both of those things are true of the people that know and believe in God. I mean, one, we're told that we have been consecrated. The book of Corinthians, you were washed, you were cleansed, you were consecrated. You were made righteous. God has done that consecration work. In Ephesians 2, we're told that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works in advance. Right? There are good works, just like you will sing that own tune. There are works that belong to you. They don't belong to me. They don't belong to Yancey. They don't belong to Duke. They belong to you to do. Because you have been chosen and set apart. In advance, God has planned this. And it changes when we know that everything. Think about it. You know, you didn't happen to show up in this city or be born in this city. You were sent here. You didn't happen to end up in your neighborhood. You were sent there. You didn't happen to end up that job that you don't like. You were sent there. You didn't happen to end up in that tough family situation. You were sent there. You didn't happen to end up in a marriage that's difficult. You were sent there. God's people are a sent people. And it changes everything. What kept Jeremiah in it? What kept Jesus in it? They, they were known and they were sent. But let's get to this last point. The message. The message was unoriginal and unworldly. The most significant thing that God tells Jeremiah is your message isn't your own. That's the most significant thing he says. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And that's both a symbol and a statement. Hundreds of times you find in the book of Jeremiah, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. He had to know that because Jeremiah was the leap, weeping prophet, the lamenting prophet. He was at one of the worst times. He suffered more than almost any other prophet. He had to know this word is God's word, not my word. I'm a messenger. And amazingly, we find the same thing about Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is God in the flesh. Whenever Jesus speaks, it's Bible. He says this, it's Bible. He says this teaching, it's Bible, right? This is Jesus. But he says this, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Now, of course, Jesus' teaching was his own, but what is he talking about there? That my word is the same word that the Father has spoken. My word is a divine word. Now, there's a few things I think that help us when we think about it. One, when you enter into a relationship with God, his message becomes your message. All of a sudden, you have been brought into a message and a purpose that you weren't in before. You're in the true story. Instead of being in a story off to the side where you're kind of living a life that you think that makes sense, but nothing ever works out, you are now in the true story. It's the story that we're told Advent, Easter, and all through our lives. And we're told that this word 
was implanted. The book of James says, receive with weak, uh, meekness this word that has been implanted in you. That means the moment you come to know God, the word is in you. Now, I know we got a job to get the word in us, but I want to say before you got it, it's been implanted. You know, it's like tulips. Any of you plant tulips? Okay, a couple people. You know, tulips always catch me by surprise. Every spring I see them come up, I go, man, I was supposed to plant those in the fall. You know, I never remember to do it. And by that, it's too late. But, you know, those tulips are coming up either way. God has planted a tulip in you, in his people. And that word is in you. You know, even when you think, oh, man, I can't even open this book anymore. That word is still in you. He's implanted it. He's given you hope. But the time you spend in God's word makes it more fruitful. He wants you to be fruitful. But the words also, the fact that it's his message, make them powerful. We all want our words to have significance and meaning and power. I don't care if you're five years old or if you're 95 years old. All of us want our words to have impact and power. We want to be heard. We want to have a voice. Sometimes I'll say we want to have comic book words, you know, bam, pow. You know, we want to have that sort of effect upon people. Jesus' words were very powerful. He quiets a sea. He can quiet a conscience of a woman that's been troubled for years. He can raise a friend from the dead. He can speak a gospel word that brings a dead soul alive. Powerful words, but you know something? The more you soak yourself in his words, the more powerful your words will become. Now, we all want those powerful words, and usually when we don't feel our words are powerful, we'll go to some other things, right? We'll, we'll, um, we'll make our words loud. Or we'll use big words, right? Let me use some big words so I feel powerful. Or we'll disguise our words in manipulative ways so we can kind of get what we want. But it's all the same thing. We want power. If you want your words to be powerful, soak them in God's words. They'll be full of wisdom and life and grace for those that hear. That's what Jeremiah's words. There are words that will set you over nations. What did Jesus say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go on to the world. And he's basically saying, I will give you words that will turn the nations upside down. I have seen this in my own life. I've been overseas and I've been, I remember years ago, I was overseas and spent some months in Africa and I was with some Christians and we were moving from village to village. And, you know, over, over there, they don't work like Presbyterians. You're sitting there and all of a sudden the guy hands you the microphone and goes, preach. Give a testimony. I was like, I, I'm 20. Well, how many years did I say it was? Maybe it was longer than that, 30 years ago. <laughs> but, you know, preach. And you're just kind of, you know, or, but, or, you know, I'd be sitting there and, and I'd be, when I was preaching, and I'd preach and there'd be a translator and I was stumbling, you know, transla- there's a groove to translation. If you've ever seen that, you say something, they say something, you say something. I was like, <laughs> you know, this guy was looking at me like, I can't get anything happening here. I mean, you're just like stepping over me. But but you know what? I'd see people come to faith. I'd see someone come up afterward with tears in their eyes. It's because God's word does that. You know, it's powerful. It's amazing. But it's unworldly, too, to close. What do I mean by that? In the world, we like two kinds of news. We want either good news or bad news. But we don't see how bad news and good news 
could result in great news. Okay? So this is what sort of happens. On one hand, it's like that song out of The Wiz. Don't bring me no bad news. If we're going to be buddies, better bone up on the rules because don't anybody bring me no bad news. So basically in our relationships, we say to people, you know, don't tell me anything bad. And maybe, you know, you're outside the Christian faith. You've been like, well, you know, one of the reasons I haven't, it just seems like bad news to me. Sin and, you know, condemnation and all that stuff. But you know something? God never just, he's so different than the world where people will unload bad words on you to crush you, to just, you know, do you in and give you no hope. God never brings his truth that way. God wounds to heal. God brings truth so people might see light. This is what he does. And so there was part of the passage that we didn't have time to read. And I'm going to read it to you because it's so important. He says, see, over this day I've set you over nations to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. You see two things there. I gave you bad news, Jeremiah, and I'm bringing you good news. And so Jeremiah is going to be called to speak a word that pierces, and so is Jesus Christ. One of my favorite scenes in uh, the birth, Jesus is eight days old. They take him into the temple, and there's this, been this old prophet and prophetess, Anna, and then Simeon's the old prophet. And this guy had been waiting all his life for what was the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel, the Son of God. And it's this beautiful picture where the old man looking for the comforter gets to comfort the comforter. He gets to hold Jesus. But, you know, he doesn't sit there and just kind of say, you know, oh, isn't he sweet? Isn't he cute? The things he says, you know, he, he speaks up and goes, by the way, this child will call, cause the falling and rising of many. And Mary, by the way, a sword's going to pierce your heart too. Because this child will bring news that will tear down. Tear down pride. Turn down self-righteousness. He will do that. But it will also be a word that builds up. For those that are humble, a word that comes up, and we have this through Mary. We heard the, you know, the song, Mary's song before. Listen what Mary says. Mary says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. This one will build and plant. And so you and I must know that. You might feel right now that God is tearing you down. You might feel right now that his word is bringing you low. He's doing it so that he might build and plant you up. That he might build you up. Because this is a message like no other message. It is not like the world's message. It is not a world, it's not a message that's going to say to you, yeah, you can do it all on your own. Just try hard and pull yourself up by the books, bootstraps. That's the American gospel right there, right? American gospel, pull yourself by your own bootstraps. It's a meritocracy. Everybody that can merit it wins it. It's a lie. None of us can merit it. None of us can. And so Advent brings a word to us and says, he will build us up. And so to close out, Jeremiah the prophet reminds us that um, a messenger has been sent, a message has been given, but you have been called as a messenger and you have a message. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending your son. 
Thank you for the messenger he was. Thank you for this gospel word that's so different. And we ask that you might plant it deep within our hearts in Christ's name. Amen.